Welcome to Let's Think, the Voluntarist Radio Show. And this is Shepard. I am your host. And today we're going to kind of go back to the basics on something. I, I realized something yesterday. I was speaking with a friend and learned that he has a new friend who turns out to be a communist. And I said, wow. Uh, that's neat. I ought to have her on the show sometime. And so he says, yeah, I'll talk to her about it. He did. And she was just kind of curious uh, about voluntarism, uh, you know, what it is, because we've heard of this term, maybe. Many people haven't. And a lot of people will think that the word voluntarism uh, has something to do with volunteering, uh, volunteerism, and they are different things. So what is voluntarism? And, and I thought, you know, there isn't really a good short, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15 minute introduction to voluntarism uh, that talks about the basics, what it is, what it isn't. And I thought, why don't I do that? And uh, so that's how we're going to start the show out today. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we're going to have a good old time. And as always, please be in contact. This is a, a community of people who like to think and if you're a thinker, we want to hear from you. Uh, please do be in touch. Uh, we we rely on you to make this this interactive, fun, and uh, to make sure we're we're providing the right content for you that you're interested in. So, what is voluntarism? I need to be careful as I discuss it because, as with any concept, it's easy to start out with something and then add all of our own ideas to it and then begin to think that all of our own ideas uh, are also an integral part of that original thing. And, and what I mean by this is, you know, perhaps a farmer uh, is a person who plants food or plant seeds, uh, the seeds grow up, harvest the, the new plants and turn it into something usable. Maybe that's what a farmer does. But then one farmer says, well, you know, I also like to listen to the birds sing. And then it would be easy for that person to give the definition of farming, the, the rough, ineloquent one that I just gave, and then add to it, and farmers like to listen to birds sing. Well, no, there you can still be a farmer without enjoying listening to birds sing. And, and I want to make sure that I'm intellectually honest and don't do that with my description of what voluntarism is and what it is not. So... The first thing that I think we should cover about voluntarism is that all voluntarists that I have ever heard of or know of, uh, one of the foundations is is the belief in self-ownership. We each own ourselves, and part of owning ourselves is owning the fruits of our actions. So not only do I own my body and you do not have a claim upon my body, but you don't have a claim upon what I produce with my body. And so this is kind of where the free market aspect comes into voluntarism. A voluntarist believes that, that if a, a human being walks out into the woods and uh, sees a stick laying there and picks up the stick and sharpens an end uh, of it and turns it into a spear and then is walking along and so another person comes up and says, hey, that's a nice spear you have there. Can I buy it? Well, the voluntarist believes that that spear is, in fact, the property of the person that that used their energy, their imagination, uh, their human creativity, and created a useful tool out of it. 
And the the person who is, wants to now acquire that spear has no right to it unless he can voluntarily persuade the other person to give it to him. And that would be done usually through trading one thing of value for another thing of value. So this self-ownership concept is not just owning your body, but also owning uh, your labor, your the fruits of your labor, etc. So a the opposite of self-ownership would be public ownership or collectivism, uh, community ownership. And this is kind of the concept that, and it, it's an opposite one, but it, it's it's gaining some popularity. Uh, the idea that human beings do not belong to themselves, they belong to the commune, and they should get credit within the commune based on uh, how good of a uh, good and obedient of a citizen they are. And that's kind of the opposite of self-ownership. Self-ownership says we each get to choose for ourselves uh, what we do. Uh, voluntarists are very strong believers that slavery is wrong. Um, voluntarists back in the uh, mid to late 1800s, Lysander Spooner was a, uh, a big-time fighter of slavery. He was an abolitionist and, and wrote extensively about it. Um, so so that's, that's kind of one foundation of, of voluntarism is self-ownership. And, and then the next big thing is that all interactions should be voluntary. And, and we already touched on that a bit, giving the example of the spear. But everything should be voluntary. And that's kind of the measuring stick that we hold up to something. So if somebody walks up to me and says, hey, look at those guys over there. One of them just gave the other guy a hundred bucks and that other guy gave the other one a, a chair. Is that okay? And then I would look at that and say, well, did they each want to do that? Yep, it was done voluntarily. Yep, that's completely a good thing. And then I would look over and I would see two gals that were wanting to get married. And somebody would say, hey, do you think that's okay? And I'd say, well, do they both want to do that? And they say, yep, they do. And I'd say, well, then, according to voluntarism, that is just fine. And then I look over and I see one guy uh, punching another person. And I say, is that okay in voluntarism? Well, is it voluntary? No, one person doesn't want to get punched. So in that interaction, only one person is getting what they want, which is doing the punching. The other person is not getting what they want. So I would say that hitting other people, initiating violence, that would be in very direct opposition to voluntarism. And uh, let's take another example of something that voluntarists might not like. And that would be if uh, one person is taking something from another person without that person's permission, stealing from them, uh, a thief. Uh, a voluntarist would say, well, no, that's not voluntary. Uh, if the person had asked, uh, the, the taker of the thing had said, hey, hey, brother, I, I, I'm really thirsty and I, I see you have some water there. May I have a glass of water? And the person who had rightful property ownership of the water said, yeah, absolutely, neighbor, here you go. Well, then everything is voluntary, and we're good with that. But if the thirsty man says, give me that water or I will beat you up, or give me that water or I'll come back next year and beat you up, or do something nasty to you, then that would be theft of, of the extortion variety. And uh, that would not be acceptable uh, to a voluntarist. And so that those are kind of just the basics of of voluntarism and we can go much deeper in into the the nuances of it but i i would almost argue that 
I have no claim to properly describe what voluntarism is. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a complete system for developing uh, one's worldviews, how we approach life. I don't think it's a complete system. I think it is a part of a system, but then we would also add other things. Like, like for me, I like the idea of adding a strong work ethic and, and personal responsibility. However, you can still be a voluntarist. You can still be a, a good card-carrying member of the voluntarism tribe and not be a hard worker and not accept personal responsibility. So so just being a voluntarist isn't all uh, that is needed in life. I think we need to add things. And every philosopher, and when I say philosopher, I don't mean a person who works at a, uh, a college who, who wears bad clothing, the, you know, the, the corduroys and the, the sports coats that, that don't fit well. You don't have to be that kind of philosopher. I think we're all philosophers. If you're listening to this right now, I'd, I'd argue that you are a philosopher. And just like me, you might be a lay philosopher. Maybe you don't do it full time and, and read five books a week, but we're, we're both philosophers. And we get to decide what kind of worldviews we're going to have, and we can add our own spin. And so one guy who, uh, kind of my favorite voluntarist of all times, and this is Carl Watner, and he has the website, and, and before that, the newsletter, actually the longest-running newsletter in libertarian history. Uh, it is called The Voluntarist. Uh, his website is voluntarist.com, and he is one of my favorites because he has kind of combined another great interest of his, which is stoicism, uh, with voluntarism. So he takes the best of Stoicism and adds it. Uh, and I just love a lot of his work for that reason. And he's he very intellectually consistent and, and pure of heart. However, when he argues about his uh, view of what voluntarism is, uh, I would say, and, and I think he has said, that it's not up to him to decide what voluntarism is. And, and he is kind of the, the godfather of, of modern voluntarism. But he, he says himself, I don't, I don't have any right to tell you what you think a word means. Uh, I'll tell you what I think it means, and, and you can read that on his website under Fundamentals of Voluntarism. He has several great articles. Uh, but he says, no, we, we all get to make this choice for ourselves, what we think a word means. And I like his. Uh, there are some other people that are voluntarists that I enjoy learning from. Uh, now, I have noticed that in the voluntarist community, those of us that like to spread the good word, that believe in it, and tell other people about voluntarism, uh, we do add our our own personal little quirks. And many of the people that are into this are are kind of of the engineering mindset. We we don't do so well with people, <laughs> but we do really great with ideas and analyzing concepts and and being uh, uh, true to the science the 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 social science in in social science you know logic reason those kinds of things are, are important to stick with intellectual consistency and and sometimes I find that the, many of the voluntarists that that put out wonderful content uh, are a bit edgy and they're sometimes rude and they're sometimes not uh, the most sweetie pie in presentation style. However, there's a lot of really good content there if you're willing to kind of sift through it, let them insult you here and there and and kind of just have a thick skin and uh, forgive them for being uh, eh, a little bit weird. 
So that's just kind of a quick rundown of of some of my thoughts of what voluntarism is. And and let's get a little bit deeper into some of uh, the the quirks that I have uh, in the next segment here. Stick with us. Do you believe me now? I told you time and time again. My heart and soul is in your hand. Do you believe me now? Do you... Here is the rainbow I've been praying for. It's only a bright, 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 sunshiny day. And welcome back to Let's Think with Shepherd the Voluntarist. That's me. We were chatting in the last segment about what voluntarism is. And in this segment, we're going to uh, talk about many of the things that surround voluntarism or uh, most voluntarists believe, but that aren't necessarily part of the basic tenets of the philosophy. It's They're not requirements. It's just, yeah, seems like most people that do that are, uh, uh, that, that do the voluntarism thing believe roughly this. Um, and by the way, uh, there's a lot of arguing and there's a lot of anger and hatred between conservatives and liberals and 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 we're all told by the politicians that that we should hate each other because we're very different in what it is we believe and and I would argue that that we're not I would argue that most human beings if you sit down with them over a cup of coffee and just chat most of us pretty much believe the same stuff. If you say, hey, you know, if, if you're uh, if you see somebody broken down in front of your house, would you let them use your phone? Well, yeah, of course we would. Uh, well, if it was going to be an hour and a half until anybody got there and you almost had your dinner ready and you had plenty of it, would you would you share it with them? Well, of course we would. And, and I'm talking about all over the world. Uh, these are not this is not just an America thing. It's a, it's a everybody in the world thing. Uh, a Hawaiian in, in Iran would probably find that if they went up and were friendly, hey, my car broke down. Can I borrow some or can I have some water to put in the radiator and see if I can get it going? Well, of course, they'd be happy to help you with that. People are generally good and helpful and people generally don't want to uh, get into other people's business, just kind of a live and let live thing. And, and you know, we hear this term a lot about being socially liberal and uh, uh, fiscally conservative. And, and that's what, you know, I, evidently 80, 90 percent of the population is that. And then the, the various political sides try to pull people more to one side or the other and, and polarize them. Uh, but I think most people are kind of like that. I, I really don't care if my neighbor has a bunch of AR-15s or or a bunch of gay lovers or uh, whatever. I don't care as, as long as it's not interfering with my life. You get to make your choice, do what you want at your house. And yeah, you can absolutely still borrow my weed eater, even if I don't like the idea that you have AR-15s because I'm not a gun person. Uh, yeah, I, I don't you're, you're my neighbor. Of course you can borrow my weed trimmer. Uh, and I think most people are kind of like that. So I, I just kind of wanted to get that out of the way and say that I, I don't think we're all that different. And I, I suspect that as you uh, listen to what I think most voluntarists believe that you're going to find you're you just might be a voluntarist without even knowing it uh, or, or pretty close to it. And, and if there are differences, then 
you know, please join the conversation. Please let me know. And it'd be interesting to know in what ways we're different um, in, in what areas maybe I didn't explain very well. Uh, so some of the things that uh, voluntarists, most voluntarists believe, I think the first big one that might even, maybe I should have even included it in the first segment of, of the must-believe portions, is that uh, participation in the political process is is not a good thing. We shouldn't do that. That's, that's, that's not cool. Um, we, we shouldn't legitimize a system uh, in which some people rule over other people and steal from them because those things are not voluntary. And if I don't have a right to do something, can I give someone else the right to do that? And I, I ask myself that, and I think, well, no. If I don't have the right to walk up to somebody and take $10 from them, then can I hire someone else to walk up to that person and take $10 from them? Well, no. I can't transfer a right that I don't even have myself. So... I, I think that that would be something that uh, would probably be part of the fundamentals, part of the foundation of voluntarism is is that we don't transfer this authority that we don't even have uh, to a small group of people who are then going to tell you that you need to have a permit to build a, a back porch or take your money away from you when you're you're trying to sell the the fruits of your labor or or your land, you're trying at least, you know, somebody's uh, getting some minerals out of your land and then somebody at third party wants to come in and steal a portion of that. That's that's silly. Uh, that That's what most voluntarists would, would believe. And so voting for someone that is then going to come in and do those bad things, uh, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be consistent with voluntarism. Another thing that uh, is believed by most voluntarists is that intellectual consistency is important. And this is really important to me. Uh, and we we talked about this last week uh, when we discussed the means versus the ends and, and how we have to just be honest. And if we discover that a value we have or a principle we have, uh, if we discover that it's not really true, like, for example, let's let's talk about uh, stealing. If if you say that your principle is all stealing is always wrong and that's something that you believe in, then as long as you keep that that phrase, that principle, all stealing is always wrong, then you have to be consistent with that. Intellectually, you have to always live by that. And then if you discover, well, wait a minute, uh, we need to have roads so that I can get from one place to another, and there's no way that the free market could figure out how to build a, a long flat thing. Uh, and so therefore we need the government to build roads. And in order for the government to build roads, the government has to steal just a little bit of money from everybody so that there can be a nice road. Well, if you believe that, then, and I'm not arguing here whether that is correct or not, I think you might get the, the drift of, of what I, uh, what I think, but, but if that's, if that's what you believe, okay, but you would need to go back and, and change your principle from being all stealing is always wrong to saying stealing is okay, but only for certain reasons. And that would be your new principle. That would make you intellectually consistent. And that consistency is, is, is actually something that I, I kind of require with my conversation partners. And I don't call 
people debaters or I don't like to debate because I don't know all the truths. I'm looking for the truth. Uh, so I, I like to call people conversation partners. Uh, whether we agree or not, we each toss out ideas and, hey, is that person's idea better than mine or not? But if I'm going to have that conversation, any conversation with someone uh, about important things, philosophy, uh, morality, that kind of thing, uh, I do only have those conversations with people who are intellectually consistent. If they're not, it really isn't worth worth the time speaking with that person. Uh, an another thing th that is pretty popular among voluntarists is the concept of the, the means versus the ends. And we talked about this at length last week, so I won't blabber on and on. I encourage you to go to our uh, our SoundCloud uh, podcast, Let's Think, and uh, check that out and uh, and see what we talked about in the, the last week's show uh, about means versus ends. But the, the long and the short of it is that that the means, what we decide to do each day uh, to many voluntarists is more important than the end. So we're not going to say that the ends justify the means. We think that's a horrible idea. Uh, we think that we just each day do the right thing. And if we do the right thing, then there's a good chance the ends will turn out well. But that really isn't what we're going for. Uh, we're going for doing what's right uh every single day. And we each get to choose what, what we believe is right. Uh, and there, there are going to be differences. Uh, we're not all going to think that the same things are okay. But as, as long as we do that, we, sh we should all get along okay. Uh, another huge aspect of voluntarism is an insistence uh, uh, on honesty, that we're honest with each other, that we don't defraud each other. Uh, and that kind of gets into the stealing thing, which voluntarist absolutely, uh, I think all voluntarists, would agree that stealing is wrong, uh, and then honesty kind of being part of that uh, uh, idea of doing something that is not uh, honest or straightforward. So most voluntarists are honest with what they say. They're they're not gonna not gonna lie to you. Uh, of course, that's what we shoot for. We're all we're all human beings, and and, and nobody's perfect, obviously. But uh, yeah, that's that's a big part of voluntarism. Uh, I, I've noticed that most voluntarists are pretty benevolent uh, and, and benevolent, you know, the, the, the idea of being well-meaning and kind and, and, and that kind of thing. Most voluntarists are, are, are pretty easygoing in that way. They, they don't want to hurt others. Uh, they love vigorous debates. <laughs> but other than uh, that, flaming out on each other over social media <laughs> and arguing about big ideas, uh, other than that, you know, I find that most people are, are pretty good hearted, kind, nice people. Uh, another uh, aspect or, or another thing is the idea of social contracts. And I, I believe almost all voluntarists would agree that there's no such thing as a social contract. Uh, they, they can't actually exist. It's just it's impossible because a contract by definition uh, has to have certain elements in it or, or it doesn't exist. And, and for those of you that are attorneys or otherwise involved in uh, law, uh, you can back me up on this, I imagine, that, that that a contract has to have certain things in it or it is no longer a contract. Uh, and this is something that has caused a lot of heartache over the years, uh, over the millennia, are people assuming that there's a contract when in fact one doesn't exist? And and I think that that we might even save this and chat about this more in the uh, the next segment because th this really deserves this idea of social contracts. I think it really deserves some looking into. And and Rousseau had his famous social contract, but 
But you, right now, you're, you're driving along, or you're paused in traffic, and you're, you're thinking, well, what is a social contract, and what are the elements of that contract? What 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 parts of it are important? And if you came up with a social contract, things that you thought uh, all people ought to do, or, or the way that all people ought to behave with each other, and, and what people's responsibilities are, etc., yours would not be identical to mine, I hope. Uh, I hope we would all be slightly different. So I, I don't think of it as a contract. I think of a, a preference. We all have preferences for how we wish society would uh, behave and get along with each other. But we can't assume that there is a contract simply because we believe in a certain set of preferences. Uh, so since we don't believe in preferences, which is obviously a word I'm having difficulty saying, uh, let's talk about contracts, social contracts, when we return after the break. Stick around, please. Welcome back to Let's Think with me, your host, Shepherd the Voluntarist. And again, I'm going to just say big kudos to you, big thanks for being a thinker, uh, for being open-minded, for thinking about big ideas. Uh, you know, if you look you look ahead of you and look, you look behind you, the, the people in the cars there, um, are, are they listening to uh, content that is, is making them smarter, that is helping them hone their beliefs and, and maybe change their beliefs if they were wrong about something? Uh, you, if you are listening to this, uh, whether you're agreeing with me vehemently or disagreeing vehemently, uh, you are a thinker. And that puts you a step ahead of most people. And I thank you for being uh, a part of this this family or this tribe of thinkers. Uh, thank you for that. This segment, we are going to dive more deeply into the concept of a social contract. And to just you know give you the punchline right off the, the, the bat, I don't think there's any such thing as a social contract. Uh, it's a, it's a made-up concept. It can't really exist. Uh, and, and I'll explain why over the next little bit. And, and please, if I am getting these things wrong, let me know. Uh, just be in touch with the show. Uh, if you go to openlyvoluntary.com forward slash let's think, that is our show homepage. And there's a contact uh, button there. Be in touch. Be part of the conversation. Uh, I do definitely want your input and I want you to correct me when I'm wrong. Uh, this can't just be something where I, I blabber on and on and, and nobody resists me. So when I'm wrong, I need some good, strong, hey, brother, you're wrong there. <laughs> so please be that person. Please be that that person that wants to, to make all of us know more and hone our ideas. We are going to look at social contracts. And uh, first, let's just look at the word contract. Uh, for those of you, again, that are in the legal profession, any attorneys out there listening, uh, I think you'll probably back me up on this and I'll expect you to slam me if I'm getting this wrong. But there, the elements that are necessary in a contract are uh, there has to be an offer. There has to be acceptance. 
the uh, the people who are making this contract have to have mutual assent. They have to, to have a meeting of the minds. There's typically some sort of consideration involved. Often that's money. Sometimes it it can be other things of value. Uh, the people entering this contract have to have the capacity to do so. Uh, and we'll get more into each of these in just a moment. And they have to have an intention to create this 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 contract, this legal document, this uh, whether it's written or or verbal, it, to, to create this this contract, they have to both have the intention to do so, both parties, uh, and it has to be legal. And I'm going to kind of just x out that legal part because legal. What does legal really mean? It means that the state says that it's cool, and as voluntarists, we don't really recognize. Uh, the legitimacy of a of a government or of, of a state. So I'm going to leave that one out because that that's kind of the trump card that the state can pull and just say, uh, well, no, everything is perfect here except eh, we don't like it. Therefore, it's not legal. Therefore, it's not really a contract. Uh, so that's kind of begging the question. It's a logical fallacy. Um, it just ain't right. So we're, we're going to ignore that that part that the government likes to say is, is part of a contract. So going back to the offer, uh, that's the first part of a contract. Uh, th- there has to be an offer of some sort. Hey, I'll do this for you if you'll do that for me. And if you're buying a car, uh, then the, you're signing a contract, then it's probably something to the effect of, hey, I, I really like that that Chevy Nova right there, and I have $10,000, uh, and I'll give you $10,000 if you'll give me that Chevy Nova. And then the other person says, you know what, that sounds good. And when the other person says, that sounds good, that's acceptance. If the other person says, no, uh, I, I think I need $12,000 for that Chevy Nova, and both parties go back and forth until they agree on $11,000, then that $11,000, that's acceptance. So now we've had an offer, we've had acceptance. The the meeting of the minds, this is that both parties really truly agree. They agree that this is this $11,000 final price, that is what the contract is. They agree about what the the exact Chevy Nova is that it's a, a 1974 and it's it's this exact car here's the the serial number on it etc uh, this is the the mutual assent the consideration would be uh, the exchange of a thing of value in this case exchanging a vehicle for money uh, the capacity the next part the next element that has to be there uh, would be the, the the capacity of the person so I can't make an agreement to sell my Chevy Nova to someone who is in a coma. Uh, I, I, they have to have the capacity to understand. I, I probably can't make a, a lifelong contract with a, a child who, who hasn't yet uh, developed the cognitive ability to enter into serious agreements. So I can't I can't find a little three-year-old and say, hey, uh, little Bobby, do you agree to work for me for $1 a year? For 80 hours a week for the rest of your life, and uh, it's a dollar a week, plus I'll give you a a big ice scoop of ice cream right now. Well, that kid doesn't have the capacity to to make that that big of an agreement. Uh, so it's it's not really fair at that point. So that, that's why capacity is included. Uh, and then the next part is the intention to create a, uh, a legal relationship. And legal, again, has to do with, with state involvement. So we can take that to be a bigger, uh, a bigger concept of most folks around here recognize a thing. And that isn't the definition of legal, but we're going to use that definition because if we think about 
a community that agrees about something. Everybody agrees that old man Johnson's farm down there where that, that big tall willow tree is with a broken down tractor beside it, that's the corner of his property. And he can go out there and say, hey, does anybody disagree? And nobody disagrees year after year after year after year. Uh, that is, uh, in a bigger sense, without, you know, if we exclude governments, the, if we exclude the state, then we can say that that's legally his property. And, and maybe a better word is rightfully say that that's his uncontested property. So those are the elements of a contract. So let's look at what we were started this whole thing over, which is a social contract. Uh, Rousseau's, for example. And essentially what Rousseau and his ilk uh, like to say is that, well, there are a bunch of us human critters here that all want to live together. And here is the contract. Here, here are the, here's the offer of what it is that we're all going to live by. Uh, you know, we're not going to shoot each other. We're not going to hit each other on the head. We're not going to steal from each other. Uh, everybody's going to chip in a tenth of the fruits of their labor and put it into the community pot. And uh, then we'll use that for things that uh, the, the rulers that we, we have, uh, the things that they decide we need or, or, or the things they want, uh, we'll spend the money on that. And, and that is a social contract. And here you go. Now, trust me and let's go live that way. Well, that isn't fair. Uh, I don't know your name, but you know mine. My name's Shepard. What if Shepard came up with a social contract? And I said, uh, you, yeah, you listening to me right now, part of the contract is you need to swing by my house every morning and give me just a nice five to 10 minute uh, neck massage because sometimes it gets stiff and, and I would really like that that neck massage. That is part of, of your obligation. That's part of the consideration. That's your payment for being part of society. And in exchange for that, it's hey, there's got to be consideration, right? So, so I'm going to, uh, I am going to sing to you while you do that. And that's the way that I'll, I'll pay you back for the massage. And, and that is now, that's what I believe the social contract is. Well, right now you're thinking, Shepard, you're ridiculous. I, I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, that. That's that's not a contract. That's just you speaking silliness, gobbledygook. Uh, and I would say you're absolutely right. That's just a preference. I, I enjoy good neck massages. And uh, so I'm trying to get what I want out of it. And, and I think the world would be a better place. Uh, my singing is horrible. So you probably don't think it's a good idea. You probably don't want to give me a, a neck massage. You, actually, you'd probably rather give me a massage than listen to me sing. Uh, if, if you'd ever heard me sing, you would say that. But but this is just a, ludicrous. This is, this is ridiculousness. And you don't put any stock in it. If I send you a letter tomorrow saying, hey, you didn't show up. Uh, wh what's the deal? You owe me here. You're in violation of this this contract. What are you going to say? If, if you're an intelligent person, you're probably going to say, well, wait a minute. The elements of the contract were not there. Uh, you made the offer, but I didn't accept it. There was no mutual assent. There was really no consideration that I thought was worthy consideration, like you paying me by listening uh, to the singing versus me giving you the neck massage. Uh, that's not real consideration. I don't agree to that. Um, capacity is there, but, but that's not relevant because we never even got to that stage. We never got past the offer. And, and you had no intention to create a legal relationship with me. 
So therefore, the contract is not valid. And Rousseau's social contract is no more valid than the one I have just described. It's a preference. He had certain preferences. I have certain preferences. But there's no such thing as a social contract. Isn't that something? Am I wrong? I don't think I am. And now many people would argue, well, yeah, but the community gets together and everybody agrees that old man Johnson's farm is down at the corner by the tree and the, the, the old broken down tractor. And when we all agree to that, and, you know, can't we just add one more thing and agree that we can't walk up to each other and, and shoot each other in the head for no reason? Can't, can't we all just agree to that? Well, unless you get those elements of a contract, it isn't a contract. It's a preference. It's one I have. I think we both share that, that preference, but it's not a contract. It's not a law. It's not a rule. It's just, it's, it's a moral belief. It's a preference, but it's not a social contract. We don't get to pick certain things that we wish and then impose those things on other people. Not if we're good, good folks, we don't. I mean, I don't think you do that to your neighbor, do you? I, I can't imagine that you would. Uh, and, and whether you're a, a city dweller or a, a countryside dweller, I, I don't see you doing that to your neighbor. Whether it's through the wall or, or the next section over, I, I don't think that you do that to your neighbors. And the reason you don't is that you're a good person. And you don't, deep in your heart, believe in a social contract. And you don't impose your preferences by means of force on other people. And that's good, because you're a good person. Stick with us. Avec leur tremolo, balayé pour toujours, je repars à zéro. You've got to stand for something, or you fall for anything. Welcome back to Let's Think. And, you know, I thought we would end this last, uh, this last portion, this last segment, by chatting about some of the most common uh, arguments that I hear about voluntarism. And, you know, I've got to say, we, we can break them down into, you know, five or ten of the most common ones. And every voluntarist hears these questions over and over and over. And quite frankly, many of them are not that well thought out. They're not, they're not that great of an argument, uh, but it, it is kind of the knee-jerk thing, uh, the, the reaction when you hear a concept like this. Well, wait a minute. Uh, the country uh, of the United States country has done this forever, and, and the, the other countries throughout the world, hundreds of them, they all, they're countries because they're governments. That they're, they're, governments exist. They always have. They always will. And, and you might as well just be with it, you know, get with the program. And, and how do you think we could live life without government telling us what to do? And, and, and so, so I just wanted to address some of these arguments and the big overriding uh, concept is that voluntarism is a way of living. It's not an end. It's a, it's the means. And I choose, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I choose to be a voluntarist because I looked at a lot of different worldviews, a lot of different ways that I might organize my life, my behavior. And I thought, you know, this seems like the right thing to do. And, and I keep my mind open for better ideas, but, but it, this is for me, I'm, I'm not doing this for the end. I'm doing it because it's the, the way to live. Um, so the first big argument that I typically hear is, 
Uh, it's, it's, it's an ad hominem attack, which if you're familiar with the ad hominem fallacy, it's when you uh, hear a concept in, in rather than addressing the concept, you attack the person who says it. Um, well, yeah, but he's a drunk. Well, it doesn't matter if he said that drinking water is generally good for you. It's, it's still good for you. But but this first one is uh, you voluntarists are not pragmatic. You are naive. You just you don't know how the real world is. You people are a bunch of privileged, new age, naive, free love hippies. Or on the other side, you're a bunch of hard headed, uh, you know, free market capitalists, you know, we'll get both of those accusations. And we just don't, we don't know about the real world. That's the argument. And, and for me, I, I've come to this conclusion fairly late in life. I came to it kind of middle-aged. Um, and, and a little bit of my background, I was, I was a deputy in the sixth largest jail system in the country for a while. And Later, I was a crimes against children detective, and, and I was pretty good at interrogating child molesters, and, and I've started a bunch of businesses. I've, I've reared two children. I've been married for almost 20 years. I'm an undergraduate degree in social science, and, you know, I've, I, I've lived a little bit of life. I, I've seen a few things, and by no means have I seen it all, or, or am I the, the most knowledgeable person out there, but I, I don't think I would fall into that naive category. Uh, I, I, I've seen a little bit. And you might say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And I hope that someday you'll join us and, and the world will be as one. So, yeah, of course, I'm uh, I'm kind of uh, reading the lyrics from Imagine there. But that's kind of how I feel about it is, is yeah, this is this is new. It's like in 1890 saying, um, hey, I've got this idea. We could, we could fly in this thing. We could call it an airplane. And everybody laughs and says, well, no, you can't do that. It's never been done. Like, show me one example of where it's worked to fly in the air. It's not humans can't do that. It's it's ridiculous. Well, I like to have these ideas. I like to think, you know, what if we could make things a little bit better? What if I could just by living a certain lifestyle make things better? So, yeah, maybe I'm naive. Maybe I don't know what's going on, but I I, I think I have a, a, a good idea of, of what's going on. Another common argument is that it won't work. Well, boy, we would sure have to get into the definition of work, wouldn't we? Uh, what do we call working? Uh, were things working fairly well in 1850 in Louisiana? Well, for some people they were, for other people not so much. And we can argue, you know, there's there's this, this whole argument we would have to have about what what the definition of works is, what what we would agree the definition is, and frankly, humans are never going to agree on what works, uh, what the definition of works means. Um, Hobbes, uh, Hobbes said that, you know, you have to have this ruling class to watch over the slave class and, and to be their masters. And if you don't, everybody kill each other and, and get mohawk haircuts and they'd steal and rape and fight and, and life would be nasty, brutish and short. And of course, I, I, I don't think those were his exact words, but you, you get the idea. And, and many people still hold that that idea that that if you if you didn't have things just as they are, roughly as they are, the same system of societal organization, uh, things would just be awful. It would all just fall apart. Um, and, and voluntarism is not going to bring utopia. And, and I don't think any voluntarist would claim that it would. Uh, it, it's kind of like communism or, or other suggestions of ways that people might live and interact with each other. It, it's a it's a concept. It's it's hey, what about this idea? Uh, let's try this. And it, you examine that idea and you say, yeah, this one holds merit. This one doesn't. And, and you perfect it. And, and then you, you compare it not to utopia. You compare it to 
might it be a little bit better than than the current way we're we're doing things? And in this case, I definitely think voluntarism would be much better than the current uh, way that society organizes itself and, and is ruled by others. And we, we this is the bigger issue. As, as voluntarists, we don't live by our principles to achieve the ends of this utopian society of will at work. Um, that can't exist. You're not going to have a perfect uh, society. Not everyone's always going to get along with everybody and treat everybody well. Um, we as voluntarists, we don't hold these principles to achieve utopia. There, there are means. This is how we choose to live our life. Uh, and I'm guessing the same is true of you. Uh, the reason I don't steal from you isn't because the, the state government politicians scribbled something on a piece of paper years ago, and then now they have people in, in costumes with beautiful golden brooches on their chests that, that now enforce that through, you know, well, that's the word, force, uh, that use force to enforce it and, and will put me in a cage if I don't obey it. That's not why I don't steal from you. The reason that I don't steal from you, and, and I would guess the reason you don't steal from me, is because you, you think about it and you go, hey, you know what? That's not the right way to interact. If I want something Shepard has, I should probably go up and try to persuade him to give it to me for free, or we'll have a contract of some other sort that will I'll give him some money, and then I'll get that thing. And, but it has to be through peaceful, voluntary means that we'll have this interaction. So I, I don't think that we need a, a government, a state, in order to get things to happen the way that they would be best. But but that isn't even my argument. My argument is, if it's the right way to live, shouldn't we be doing that? Isn't that what we already do? I, I think it is. And then another, and, and this is so frequently asked, it's a running joke uh, among uh, voluntarists and libertarians as well. Uh, you'll see T-shirts and all kinds of memes online. This question is, who would build the roads? And I think uh, uh, Tom Woods, uh, who isn't really a voluntarist, but he's a libertarian-leaning conservative, I, I would think he'd best be described. Uh, he has this wonderful quote, uh, and, he, and he says, who would build the roads is a question that belongs at the top of every libertarian drinking game. If we didn't have state coercion, the argument runs, there would be no roads. There would be a Sears store over there and your house over here. And everyone involved would just be standing there scratching their heads. And, and of course, that's a funny way of looking at it. But that, that's absolutely true. I, the free market we prove we, we we invented the wheels. We invented the, the iPhones, cars, airplanes, Zima. Like every, almost everything is invented without government involvement. But then we think all of a sudden that a a, a long, hard, flat thing. Uh, yeah, nope. Free market couldn't figure out how to do that, so I could get from my house to your house. Nope. We just we wouldn't know how to do that. Well. Geesh, deer have figured out how to do this. Uh, cattle, which I, I believe are the dumbest animals out there, uh, cows can figure out how to get from here to there, and, and, and they beat down a trail. And, and then once that road get, becomes bad and, and potholed and degraded, well, they kind of go around, and, and they still find a place to get from here to there. And so that idea of how would we build the roads or many other similar questions, how would we 
blah, blah, blah. How would we do this thing or that thing? Uh, you know, the last 20 or 30 years, uh, governments have taken over a lot of transportation. They've taken the responsibility of helping people get from one place to another. With this art and that, there's the Bay Area rapid transit system and the, the Southern Teton rapid transit system and the and I'm every, every decent-sized area, population uh, area, has their mass transit thing. And so the government is trying to take over this idea of getting people from one place to another. And, and the, then the question is, well, you know, if the government got rid of all the city buses and the trains and the subways, how would people get from one place to another? And I would argue that the free market just might be able to come up with something. Uber? Taxis? Limousines? Uh, rickshaws? Like, throughout history, people have needed to get from over here to over there, and other people have said, huh, we can, we can make a little bit of a, a deal here. How about I help you get from here to there and you give me a couple bucks and now we're, we're both getting what we want. And humans have been figuring out how to do this forever. Ticks know how to do it. Ticks call, crawl into critters and, and move from one place. And I get, you know, that's obviously they're not thinking about it intellectually, but I, I, I and I'm, I'm joking there, but we can figure out how to do things, whether it is uh, building a road or if roads are even needed. If if the free market, we let Elon Musk keep doing his his cool dreaming and imagining, uh, who knows what will happen? Uh, you know, we might think <laughs> roads. Why in the world would we have something rubbing against the ground and creating that friction if we want to get from place to place? Uh, and, and that's, you know, at the moment in 2020, maybe that's sci-fi kind of stuff. But I think that there are all kinds of opportunities uh, if we allow human beings to go and just do their thing, do our thing. Thank you for listening to our show today. Please do be part of the conversation. I really would love it if you would go online and, and join our community, openlyvoluntary.com forward slash let's think. And uh, we have a, a conversation going there. We have podcasts, a uh, place where you can ask questions, get in contact with us. Please do be in touch. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for being a good person. Thank you for listening and participating in Let's Think. Let's Think.